This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Learn how inadequate data may be impacting your used vehicle department at reyrey.com slash used cars. That's R-E-Y-R-E-Y.com slash used dash cars. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year automotive news digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, December 28th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, it was a year of building hype for self-driving vehicles until it all came tumbling down. Cruise fleet is idled in North America right now. They keep saying rebuild trust with their customers and regulators. And I think it's more build trust. I don't know that they ever really had that in the first place. Automotive news tech and innovation team leader Pete Bigelow joins Jamie to talk about the biggest self-driving news in 2023 and what next year might bring for the AV industry. Pete Bigelow, welcome back to Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. It's been a while. Good to be here today. Absolutely. So this is uh, our year in review discussion about automated vehicles, automated driving. And, you know, it's been a really interesting year. On the one hand, it feels like kind of a kind of a blah year, but it actually was a, a bit dramatic. I felt like we started with a sort of um, trough of despair, trough of disillusionment, uh, uh, in the, and then a little bit of hype with uh, Cruz. Um, I certainly got excited by uh, Kyle Vogt and his big plans for to grow revenue and uh, scale up the company. And then, boy, did they uh, stub their toes, get out over their skis, whichever is the proper metaphor. Right. Where where are we? I mean, Cruise seems like the story of the year in automated driving. And where does that stand now? It is. It's a, you know, I certainly think. Uh, you know, to your point, if we're looking at this like in the focus of a year, we rode roller coaster up in the beginning of the year, <laughs> and we're riding it down right now. Uh, and it certainly stands in a place where uh, the cruise fleet is idled in North America right now um, after they got their driverless permits suspended in California back in October. You know, after several weeks, they paused their fleet nationally as they've kind of regrouped in the face of a, you know, significant safety incident. And uh, right now, they're making plans to Whenever operations restart, we don't know when that's going to be, but they're going to restart in one city as opposed to more than a dozen across the U.S. So to your point, uh, I think that Cruz has you know, really got out too, too far over its skis and now is searching for what the, the right scope of operation is whenever it is if they ever, uh, you know, come back. Mm-hmm. But trying to start back at square one, not, 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 Attempting a nationwide takeover all at once. Definitely square one. Uh, we don't know where that's going to be, but uh, you know, right now they're trying to, they keep saying rebuild trust with uh, their customers and regulators. And I think it's more build trust. I don't know that they ever really had that in the first place, mm-hmm. um, but that's one aspect of what they're trying to do. I think there's some technical hurdles that uh, are still being figured out. Clearly the biggest overstatement in autonomous driving over the last few years is that the technology is ready and it's just regulation holding it up. Clearly not the case. And, and this whole cruise, uh, you know, fiasco puts an exclamation point on that. 
Yeah. Although not all technology is created equal. There are some players who are still uh, expanding very slowly and carefully. Uh, Waymo, I guess I think of as sort of the other uh, big player, the biggest other player. Yeah. No, I think that's a, a great point that uh, the all these autonomous or automated technologies often get lumped together mm-hmm. and they're often uh, conceptually very different. They have uh, various levels of competence and Waymo is the other big company out there and they quietly uh, perhaps uh, compared to everything going on with their competitor, uh, Waymo started driverless commercial operations in San Francisco this year. The second city in which they're operating uh, comes after Phoenix has been up and running for a few years now. Mm-hmm. They kind of have their sights on LA, you know, down the road here, maybe at the end of 2024, but much more methodical approach. And, you know, I don't want to say they're perfect, but they're not having the frequency of problems as crews. The clustering, the interference with, um, you know, municipal services kind of problems. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I don't think they've been perfect in that respect, but certainly not having the volume of complaints and, and when they do have problems, I think that uh, they're working with city officials in a you know, sincere and earnest way to, to solve those, those issues when they do arise. Definitely a better relations. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question about that at this point. Yeah. What about who are some of the other uh, lesser known uh, non-Google backed players <laughs> out there in the space? Well, it's a good question because we've kind of lost sight of, uh, of some of them. But Zooks uh, also quietly this year, not operating commercially, but they have a driverless deployment uh, with a shuttle that's running between their offices in the Bay Area. So they've that's a big step for Zooks. And, uh, you know, I think in retrospect, we can look at someone moving more slowly uh, mm-hmm. and say, oh, maybe that's not such a bad idea right now. Right. Um, used to look like a bad strategy and now it looks like a prudent one. Yes, Absolutely. Uh, Motional would be another one, the Hyundai Aptive Joint Venture, uh, making plans for a driverless commercial deployment in Las Vegas here in the early months of 2024, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, May Mobility here in Ann Arbor, also making plans for for a driverless deployment in the near future. But again, like we're talking maybe one or two routes, small scale, not boiling the entire country uh, at a single time. If Las Vegas during convention times, NADA, CES, what you name it, F1, if they could get better traffic flow through automation, I'm all for it. Well, I mean, it, it's always ironic that going to Las Vegas for, for CES, which is my experience, uh, you know, you have all this transportation technology on the inside that's supposed to help uh, make things safer, make things uh, more efficient. And then the reality is right outside the convention center where, <laughs> where it's a disaster and it takes 90 minutes just to move a few blocks across town. So yes, I think everybody would be in favor of that. That would be good. All right. So um, we've also seen some developments in level three. Uh, and level three is such a weird netherworld. I thought it had been banished forever, uh, but level three is back and uh, in some uses. Again, yeah. in the wild west of Nevada. That is another uh, development in the automated driving front this year that... Uh, you know, we've kind of lost sight of, again, with crews kind of sucking up all the oxygen in the room. But Mercedes-Benz has put level three automation in cars you can go buy, and it is uh, <laughs> able to be engaged and activated on certain stretches of road in Nevada uh, at certain speeds. So very limited application. It is very limited in terms of geofence and when you can actually use it as a consumer. I think it really remains to be seen who wants to pay thousands of dollars for a system that uh, has limited 
actual application right now. But again, it's kind of a foothold. Uh, we'll see how they, you know, grow the geofence where it can be operated. Um, you know, what questions and complications arise perhaps, because I think those are, those exist out there with level three as well. Yeah. Well, there are some big spenders out in the Las Vegas area, uh, or maybe great for a rental car, uh, you know, a high-end rental. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. I, you know, I think then you have run into, I mean, one of the big questions here is like, what sort of training do drivers need when they use a system like that? Right. Um, where conceptually, at least they can turn their attention away from the road and read a book or watch Netflix, but you have to be able to retake control when the car asks you to. Boy, that, I don't know if I, there's so many questions about that. If you are a car owner who understands how it works, to put it in a rental fleet would be perhaps a selling point, but uh, maybe problematic from a safety perspective. I, if it's not easy enough to use and to be explained in about a minute or two, I'm not sure it belongs in the car. I mean, they, most systems are not that hard. Well, that's true. Uh, I think one of the interesting things with the Mercedes-Benz uh, deployment right now is that there remain a lot of questions about how this system works. It's called right. Drive Pilot. Um, whether you really can turn your attention away from the road and read a book or, you know, mm -hmm. probably more likely scroll through text on your phone, um, how, how much time you have to retake control when the car prompts you to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, what are you criminally responsible for if there's a crash? Mercedes says they'll take some product liability here, but there's a whole nother aspect and dimension of the law that, that they cannot account for. So, uh, you know, be careful out there using the system if you're going to use it, I guess. is uh, I'm not a lawyer, so don't take my legal advice, <laughs> but uh, proceed cautiously. That sounds prudent. That sounds, makes sense. So I think related to that, we're seeing the continued uh, shakeout in the LIDAR sector. Um, it's been, you know, we've seen some players make some progress, at least, you know, make, announce some, some deals, some real production plans, uh, but it's also been still tough sledding. Absolutely. I think uh, if you look at the stock price of any public LiDAR company right now, they've had a, a very rough year. Mm -hmm. uh, there's been some consolidation, you know, anecdotally heading into CES, I historically have, you know, a few dozen pitches from, from <laughs> LiDAR or sensor companies. And it's definitely, uh, you know, I can count the number on one hand so far this year. And I think that's uh, indicative of where the, the industry's at. And there's a question of, you know, the key question is, as LiDAR gets set for driver assist applications is how much better is it making a driver assist product? Mm -hmm. How much more are uh, customers willing to pay for that, you know, overall technology suite? Well, and, and it is, uh, it's always a constant uh, cost benefit analysis, but it, we're also seeing some companies as they gain scale, uh, be able to project really bringing some costs down. I mean, it's one thing when it, the, the sensor itself, the LiDAR, you know, is uh, four digits. And then when it can, you know, p potentially get down to 500 dollars $100. Yeah, and that's definitely the direction that the, you know, the unit plus software uh, is heading right now, if, if not already there. And I think there's no question that redundancy in the sensor suite makes these systems better. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do expect that we'll see a handful of, of long-term survivors. I don't know if I'll use the word winner just yet in light of where the stock prices are. Um, but, but I certainly think that there are companies that are going to make it over the long haul and, 
you know, I think of Luminar certainly has uh, a lot of contracts with major OEMs. They're going to be in the EX90 that mm -hmm. uh, has made its debut and I think still set uh, for commercial production early in 2024. So I think, you know, that's, that's not a mass market vehicle, but we're starting to see, see it at the luxury level and, and we'll see that trickle down effect soon. Coming up, Jamie and Pete talk about Tesla's driver assistance features and about what's to come for the self-driving industry in 2024. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is, is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Lack of inventory, increased auction fees, and a volatile market means stocking your lot can be challenging these days. To be successful, you have to move fast. You need to make decisions quickly at auction. You need to inspect trade-ins and decide on an offer that will benefit you without slowing down the sales process. You need to appraise and price vehicles with the most up-to-date information possible in a market that can change quickly. But the data you rely on to make these decisions could be holding you back. How often do you find yourself manually filtering through comps because there are outliers that don't match the vehicle you're appraising? When unexpected mechanical issues come up, how much time do you have to spend looking back through comps to reprice the vehicle and determine if the reconditioning costs are worth it? How long do you spend searching through individual auction and third-party websites for the inventory you need? These problems affect the entire used vehicle process from acquisition to appraisal to merchandising. Visit reyrey.com slash used cars to explore how old and irrelevant vehicle information may be holding you back and discover how to make improvements for faster, more accurate, and more profitable decisions. That's reyrey.com slash used dash cars. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. I'm talking with Automotive News Tech and Innovation Team Leader Pete Bigelow about the biggest autonomous driving stories in 2023. Yeah, as we take ourselves through the scale of uh, automated driving capabilities, from the you know the Waymos uh, through the Level Threes, you know where where are we with Tesla? Where is Tesla with their autopilot and their uh, quote unquote full self-driving has to have the capital letters because it's only a proper noun, not an actual descriptive noun. Right. Definitely, uh, you know, keep that in quotation marks for full self-driving, uh, which is a driver assist system that mm -hmm. requires uh, human oversight at, at all times. And I think that's, 
in a way, like there's probably been not a lot of movement in 2023 on the quote unquote full self-driving or autopilot fronts Mm -hmm. in that they're both, uh, both seeing a lot of problems out there. We just had another autopilot crash the other day that involved, you know, no surprise here, a vehicle with autopilot activated running into a, a fire truck mm-hmm. that was stopped on a major highway. And, you know, we've seen this accident before. Uh, why, why does it continue? Well, it seems like, yeah, the big developments for Tesla and automated driving this year has been in court. Uh, they've, they've won some cases. They've won some defenses, maybe some cases that were uh, brought against them that weren't ideally formed for winning, but definitely some others that are continuing to uh, churn along. Yeah, not the ideal test cases, I guess, uh, if you, you know, coming from a consumer safety perspective. Um, mm-hmm. And we did, we saw a driver, I think back in June or July, who was, uh, you know, pled guilty to, if, if I remember, it was vehicular manslaughter, or I may not have the exact charge right, but ultimately uh, in the early going here between that case and the case involving the Uber self-driving test driver, which finally settled this year, you're seeing human drivers, it, at least in a token way, held responsible for providing the oversight that they're, according to the owner's manual, supposed to be providing when using a driver assist system. And then we'll see where that line gets drawn for the level threes. That's right. Ultimately, it's the courts who are deciding like what drivers should or should not be doing and, and holding them responsible. It's uh, not at all proactive from the the OEMs or tier one supplying these systems. Uh, it's ultimately this big gray area that that is going to be decided in the courts. Well, is there anything happening in the Congress? You know that will set the ground rules for what automated systems are can and can't or should or shouldn't do. What the the owner or the driver or the manufacturer's responsibilities are. Heading into 2024, I'd say, well, maybe don't get your hopes up. Uh, (laughs) There is some talk once again of reviving uh, legislation that would kind of set a national framework for autonomous vehicles on the road. I don't know that it's, even if it was to pass, if it's going to get into, you know, what drivers should or should not be doing Mm -hmm. behind the wheel at the lower levels of autonomy, I think that's ultimately something that's, NHTSA would set rules for, and and we're seeing zero appetite from NHTSA right now uh, to to wade into that thicket. Mm-hmm. Any other predictions for the year ahead? What kind of growth should we expect to see? Are there any new players? Uh, does it feel like a, a winnowing time? Uh, you know, it's the last two years we've seen Argo in 2022 close in October of 22, uh, we've seen crews kind of implode here in the fall. And, uh, I don't know that I, I think the best case for the autonomous vehicle industry would be like a year of very slow and steady growth with no, you know, if nothing bad happens, that's a good year right now. Right. So, I mean, when Cruise was planning their big expansion, I mean, it really looked like we would see this across most of the Sun Belt by the end of the decade. Is that where do where do we look for you know not necessarily snow and ice, uh, you know New York City in a, a superstorm, but when when can we maybe reasonably expect? We think in twenty thirty. Is it twenty forty? 
I, I guess it depends, Jamie. It depends if you're talking in a widespread, meaningful way. We're probably at least at 2030 right now mm-hmm. uh, in, into the 2030s. Across that, the Sun Belt, I think, is the ideal location where these will roll out. You know, Atlanta, Miami. Look at all the places crews wanted to operate: Dallas, Houston, Austin. Um, you know, I think it's going to be smaller right now, and I think Austin's kind of the next place where Waymo and crews were going to operate, mm-hmm. and uh, the VW. Uh, unit that kind of quietly set up shop this year, which we forgot to mention, like right. <laughs> they're looking at Austin. So if there's a hot spot, it's Austin and maybe, maybe Texas overall, because there's also a lot of autonomous trucking operations that, that are, uh, you know, geographically located in Texas right now. Aurora plans to start its driverless commercial operations by the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. That That's maybe another thing we can look to here in the year ahead. Well, that has been, you know, we, again, we started the year in this sort of trough of disillusionment, you know, at least for the robo-taxi side, but the emphasis was really on the trucking and the opportunities for long haul drives where the, the driving is quote unquote simpler. <laughs> it can be hub to hub. It can be overnight. I think trucking certainly has the right economic model for automation to, to work on the road. When you're replacing a human driver, when you're opening up the possibility of operating 24-7, maybe getting around those hours of service. This seems to be the place to make some money soon. Whereas if I'm a passenger in a robo-taxi, do I care if my driver is human or automated? I just want to get where I'm going. But on the trucking side, if if there's money to be saved, uh, and I think there is, boy, if if you have automated driving and and I don't in my fleet, you know, it's an immediate disadvantage too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think trucking has to write business model for automation. And I certainly see, you know, the way you look at the way Chris Urmson pivoted from Waymo to Aurora. And you look at the way that Brian Selesky's now pivoted from Argo to Stack, which is his new uh, autonomous trucking company. Mm-hmm. You take two of the most prominent guys uh, from the robo-taxi side and see the moves that they've made. Uh, I think that speaks to the opportunity in trucking. But I think like we saw with crews having one big incident, you know, I think that that spotlight will just be magnified if there's a truck responsible for a, you know, a crash on a, on a public road that the industry right now feels very precarious and fragile. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll be watching how it develops through 2024 and beyond with you and your team. Pete Bigelow, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for having me. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer for his help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on autonomous driving, tech and innovation, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a look at the biggest stories of 2023 in the auto retail world. Dealers are, they're still making a lot of money. They're still probably making more than they were making in 2019. But because those COVID years were so strong for them, I think that they're starting to see just a little bit of a trickle down in terms of a little less money that's coming in. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.